Good morning on a lovely Friday. We're just doing everything uh, as quickly and as efficiently as possible. We've got a jam-packed show today. Welcome to Secrets of the Sire. Uh, I want to welcome all my viewers on Periscope and you now, um, which is also going to be broadcast on YouTube. Welcome to Secrets of the Sire. Every week we break down comics, movies, TV, pop culture, um, everything that you guys love to talk about, we love to talk about on air. We have, a, we have a tremendous show today, like just an absolute tremendous show. Um, we are welcoming uh, Zenoscope's Ralph Tedesco. Um, he is arming the Zenoscope Hollywood wing, and he is going to break down comics to film, uh, getting his comic book uh, projects that he's co-created. Um, they are the publishers of Grimm's Fairy Tales, Robin Hood, uh, Return to Wonderland, um, you name it. They've done a lot of great uh, comic book projects within the fantasy realm um, and have been a successful comic book company for a long time. And it's, um, it's we're going to talk about that as well, too. So any aspiring self-publishers that want to kind of learn from the best, the Ralph is a great resource to talk to. Um, we also have some uh, super secret um projects that they've got going on that I kind of caught wind of that I would like to talk to him about if he's willing to do so. So again, welcome to Secrets of the Sire every week. If you want to call in and join the conversation, it's 877-480-4120. We are on secretsofthesire.com. That's sire with an S. As in Sam, as in my engineer, who's always here, S-I-R-E. So you can always search Secrets of the Sire on iTunes and download our podcast or catch us every Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern on TalkingAlternative.com. March 24th and 25th, we're going to welcome Bad Coyote Funky. I'm going to be on their podcast on the 24th. They're going to be joining me on the 25th. But enough self-promotion. We really have a jam-packed show. I want to get right into it. So last week, Sam, we we, uh, we broadcast live on YouNow. We broadcast live on Periscope. Really great stuff. Love doing the streaming. YouNow actually sends our broadcast to YouTube, so it's on my YouTube page. Again, you can look up... Well, you can't look up Secrets of the Sire yet. We just launched it. We need more subscribers. So go check out um, Secrets of the Sire Facebook page, facebook.com slash Secrets of the Sire, and I will uh, have the YouTube link up there as well. The more subscribers we get, and then eventually I get my URL. It's, it's really exciting. But what I wanted to touch upon, which I thought was kind of funny, was we were actually... One of the clips that we broadcast was actually banned from YouTube last week. I got a notification saying... It, it broke some sort of community rules. Now, last week's show comprised of the Chris Rock analogy. So immediately my, my initial thought when I protested this was that maybe the racy talk that we had about the Oscars was, was too racy or maybe it was interpreted by their bots to be racist in general. And I immediately said, this is, this is outrageous. We are talking in an intellectual discussion. We are talking about uh, issues that are pertinent to us, diversity, you know, the like, it, 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 it astounded me. Then I realized the, sh- the segment that got blocked was the last segment when we were debating the best X-Men movie. So I'm really, really curious to see what in that broadcast, which I don't have a copy of now because it's not on YouTube, uh, got <laughs> ended up getting banned by YouTube. Perhaps they were uh, X-Men Apocalypse fans. Maybe they were X3 fans and they did not like our treatment of Brett Ratner. Um, maybe... The, uh, the boys from Bad Coyote Funky who were here last week, um, maybe they might have said something. Who knows? But uh, to, my, to my stunned look when I was sitting uh, post-show going through everything to see that that was the segment and not the Chris Rock one, uh, which brings me to my next point, which I thought was actually kind of fun. 
you know, I do a lot of show preparation uh, since launching the show. We launched in January. We've uh, been growing. We have a huge audience now that's building across the globe, talking alternative broadcasts everywhere. So you can always hear us. You can hear us on playback. You can hear us on iTunes. We're getting out there. Hello, Periscope peeps as well. I want to say hi to you guys. Um, you know, so we're out there and we're doing a lot of really cool things. And it's, it's always a lot of preparation that goes into it. And I try to come up with issues that are pertinent. And I'm trying to come up with issues that we want to talk about. Debate, you know, debate is just awesome. It's awesome to be able to intelligently and, and with a lot of intelligence just go through exactly the issues of the day, things like diversity, things like the Chris Rock. But at the end of the day, the most response we got was debating which Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, X-Men movie does it best and, and was the best one of all the franchises. So at the end of the day, it's kind of funny sometimes. You know, all the preparation, I'm doing research, I'm looking into different points of view, I'm interviewing different people, I'm getting people's take on Facebook, uh, on our Facebook page, on our Twitter page. And at the end of the day, our biggest poll was which Batman movie should advance in our March Madness bracket. So that is a perfect segue into our Twitter poll which is currently still going on. If you go to Twitter, at Michael underscore Dolce, D as in dog, O, L as in letter, C as in cat, E, uh, you can still vote. Uh, there's not a lot of time left, so do it quick. We are doing a March Madness f comic book movie film franchise final for... I'm not saying that again. That was a lot to take in right there. And last week, with the, with the guys from Bad Coyote Funky, we actually went through and picked our top four to advance into the bracket. And we started with the Batman films. And what we have right now is we've got Batman 1989, the 1989 version, the Tim Burton version. We've got it going up against The Dark Knight 2008, Dark Knight Rises 2012, and Batman Forever 1995. We've also had a couple write-in votes. We had Dennis Calero, uh, artist extraordinaire. He's, on, he's been on titles such as X-Factor uh, for Marvel Comics, and he weighed in and said uh, Batman, uh, not Batman Forever and not Batman, but the one in between, Batman Returns, was one of his favorites. So we noted it. It's not enough to sway the vote. The vote is currently in favor of one of those four. I won't tell you which, because I want you to keep voting. We have seven minutes left on the voting, so get us before the, f uh, before the first segment ends. And we'll announce the winner at the end and who moves, in, who moves on in our bracket. But it got me thinking this week for my blog, Tim Burton, Christopher Nolan, two completely different uh, voices, two different visions, two different Batman movies. Which one actually performed better under pressure? If you, if you categorize it like that, if you put the criteria, you know, who had more pressure on him to succeed? Now, Tim Burton, in my mind, didn't have a lot of pressure aside from, hey, we have a tentpole movie, uh, we have a potential franchise. The pressure was just as expected as it always is. Tim Burton, this is his world he lives in. So he did have the weight of the comic book community on his back, don't get me wrong, but the previous Batman film... Uh, or, or the previous incarnation of Batman on the screen was the Adam West Batman. So the expectations of how dark and how gritty he could get or to appease the fans, especially coming off of Dark Knight Returns, which came out in 1986, uh, three years prior, I just don't think there was that kind of pressure from the community. 
Not to mention there was no Twitter, there was no Facebook, there was no social media, there was no you know incessant uh, prattling by the uh, by the trolls of the world that Tim Burton had to face. Whereas Christopher Nolan in 2005 had the weight of the world on his shoulders to make a Batman movie that could erase the awful taste of Batman and Robin with George Clooney in 1997, which effectively for about three years killed the comic book movie. I mean, that movie, Batman and Robin, I mean, it was so epically bad that it basically hindered the progress of a James Cameron Spider-Man. It hindered the progress. Yes, Sam. Sam was. I love. See, I love working with Sam because he's in on all this stuff and he knows this stuff. But there's little tidbits that he's not quite aware of. There was for a while. There was a potential James Cameron Spider-Man movie starring Leo DiCaprio, and it was. Um, and it was in there. And I'm not saying Batman and Robin killed it, but it definitely lent its hand in killing that movie from seeing the light of day. Now we had the Sam Raimi version that came out in 2002, so everything was okay. Uh, in the end, but there was definitely um, some hesitancy on the part of the Hollywood uh, production and the Hollywood elite to um, make that movie uh, after Batman and Robin did so poorly. So Christopher Nolan really had the weight of the world on his shoulder. I mean, there's no question about it. And his franchises, I think, are far superior to Tim Burton. There is no doubt about it. However... Well, I would say franchises. You see, Sam shaking his head, but I would say, remember, Tim Burton had one film that was really great and one film that was eh, it was okay, even though Dennis Calero, X-Factor artist, uh, thought that Batman uh, Returns was one of his favorites. Um, I would say he was in the minority. We love that you uh, chimed in, Dennis, though, so always voice your opinion. We always respect it and love it. He's got a new book coming out in uh, two weeks or about. No, actually, I think it's next week. He's got a new book from Titan that's coming out. So I want to give him some love there. I'll give him some love on Twitter and, some, and Facebook as well. But Christopher Nolan basically made three solid movies. Now, let's, do, let's isolate the criteria one more time, though. Let's say Tim Burton's first attempt at a Batman movie versus Christopher Nolan's first attempt at a Batman movie, which was Batman Begins. I don't think there's any contest. I think the first Batman movie from Tim Burton crushes Batman Begins. There's some people who love Batman Begins, but in my mind, Batman Begins is a director who's afraid to make a comic book movie. Because that's not really a Batman movie. That's really more of a coming-of-age story. Christopher Nolan uh, with Christian Bale. Christian Bale is... It's a Bruce Wayne movie. It's more along the lines of what we have on TV now with Gotham rather than the brilliance that was The Dark Knight. I think The Dark Knight trumps every Batman movie out there. I think Heath Ledger. Funny story about Heath Ledger, though, too. Uh, Sam and I were talking about this last week. The uproar when Michael Keaton was cast as Batman in 1989, or 1988, I guess, because they had to film it, or 87, whatever the time lapse was, was the equivalent of the uproar for Heath Ledger being cast as the Joker. Both ended up surpassing fans' expectations to the point where now everyone after that is compared. Jared Leto coming up in Suicide Squad is going to be compared to Heath Ledger, for better or for worse. Might be a completely different Joker, might lend itself to some of that aspects, but at the end of the day, they are going to be neck and neck uh, in the fans' eyes. So, in my mind, Christopher Nolan, as a franchise, yes, superior to Tim Burton's two attempts. Christopher Nolan's three attempts better than his two attempts. I think all three movies, Batman Begins, 
Dark Knight uh, Return, uh, sorry, Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises, much much better than the first Batman plus Batman Returns. But if you were to compare the first two movies up against each other, I don't think there's any comparison. I think Tim Burton's Batman with Jack Nicholson as the Joker, far superior to Liam Neeson and uh, Batman Begins. And that's just my take. We're going to get your take as well a little later. We had some uh, people go back and forth on our Facebook page. Again, you can go find us and like us. Please like us. We're actually surging in likes, which I love. You can go to facebook.com slash secrets of the sire. If you want to join in, the phone number is 877-480-4120. You can find us on YouNow and Twitter at at Michael underscore, it's that underline thing, Dolce, D-O-L-C-E. But coming up, we're going to welcome uh, Ralph Tedesco of Zenoscope uh, for two, two awesome segments. I got a lot of questions for him. I've actually worked with him in the past. I did some writing on Grimm's Fairy Tales, um, and Zenoscope's a hell of a company, and they're they're a success story, so they almost segue great into our show that comes up on After Us as 21st Century Entrepreneur. But coming up, Ralph Tedesco, Zenoscope, bringing comics to film and the history of Zenoscope Comics when we return. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Hello, I'm JC. I'm Joan. And And welcome welcome to to 21st Century Entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. We bring education, insight, knowledge, awareness, trouble, craziness, and fun for you, the entrepreneur who's looking to build your business and your community. Listen every Friday from noon to 1 Eastern on talkradio.nyc. And you can tweet us at 21st CE Radio or Talk Alternative. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. We are back. Secrets of the Sire. Thank you to all who join us every Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern. we got a great special event coming up March 24th and 25th. Just want to remind you, the guys from Bad Coyote Funky, they're a podcast, uh, do everything nerd culture, just kind of like what we do. We're teaming up. We're doing a 24th and 25th broadcast. I'll be on their show on the 24th. It airs, uh, I believe, around 10 o'clock at night. Uh, you can check us out on twitch.tv and welcome them the next day onto my show on the 25th at 11 a.m. on TalkingAlternative.com. We're going to break down Superman versus Batman, Dawn of Justice. We're going to break down movie trailers, going too far with showing us the rest of the movie. But I want to welcome uh, Ralph Tedesco from Zenoscope. Ralph, how's it going? Mike, how are you, man? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. What's your take on Superman, Batman? What's my take? Um... Batman, you're you're gonna not like this answer, I guess. I, I was a big fan of, of, of Batman Begins, the newer the newer trilogy. <laughs> you know, and I, I I don't know. I saw, um, you know, I was a kid when the when the first Batman came out, and I I don't know. I, I guess 
I guess uh, I guess the second one just rang rang a little. I like the grounded, the, the more grounded version of it. I think um, just struck me a little bit, a little bit uh, um, something new, something fresh. I, I, I for whatever reason, it, it seemed to stick with me more. I I agree with that. I actually like Batman Begins, but if I was comparing the, f- the the whole argument was if I was comparing the first Batman film to the first Batman attempt that Christopher Nolan did versus the first Batman attempt that Tim Burton did. Now, of course, it's different. You know, it's twenty years apart almost. It's different circumstances. Um, but in terms of like a Batman film, now, what do you think about Superman versus Batman, which is I guess taking a completely opposite approach, which is not necessarily grounded in reality, but more grounded in comics. What do you think about? What do you think is going to happen there? <laughs> That's going to be interesting. I, I it, 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 a lot's going to depend on on Affleck um, if he pulls it off. Um, for me, I think um, I am curious, excited for it. Um, I do want to I do want to uh, check it out. I've been a Superman fan, you know, ever since I was a kid from uh, the original Superman movies mm-hmm. um, growing up, and um, of course, you know, the new Superman. I I I, I did actually enjoy that. Um, the, the newest one. I wasn't a big fan of the Brand, Brandon Ralph um, version. Um, but, you know, this new movie coming out, uh, you know, I I have a feeling it's going to be actually really, really good. So, uh, but we'll keep our fingers crossed. I, I'm with you, actually. And uh, one of the things we're going to debate, but we won't do it here, at the end of the, at the, end of the uh, month is movie trailers giving away too much because that's my one complaint of the movie so far is I've seen it. I saw it on the trailer. I saw it on the commercial. Oh, you saw it. But um, anyway, let's move on, though. Let's talk about Xenoscope. Uh, for anybody who's new to what you guys do and what you guys publish, give us a little backstory. And also, my next follow-up question is going to be, I, you and I have actually talked about this, um, you know, what you guys were kind of originally, your original intention with starting the company and how it kind of turned into something even greater than you imagined. <clears throat> yeah, um... Sorry, I'm drinking my coffee here. It's That's okay. I've got mine here. too. I've got my tea right here. It's okay. <laughs> I uh, out here in LA, so it's a little earlier. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, we we started kind of. You know, I, I'm embarrassed to admit I wasn't. I didn't know as much about the comic book world as I should probably most people would who get into comics. Mm-hmm. Um, when we when we started uh, the company, I hadn't read very many comics. You know, in the you know in recent years, because I was obviously a little bit older, um, and I wasn't as in tune with the with the medium as I probably was when I was a kid. So, mm-hmm. uh, Joe was really a big fan. He stayed a fan. My book, my business partner, Joe. Um, we were writing together. We were writing partners. I was living in L.A. at the time. I'm from I'm from Philadelphia originally. I'm from yep. the East Coast, um, but I was living in Los Angeles. Um, you know, as a in my twenties, um, and we were, uh, you know, I, I was just trying to make it. You know, I was trying to make it as a writer, as an actor. Um, and Joe had this idea about for a comic book, and you know, he thought, you know, he knew he knew I could write a little bit. Uh, you know, at least I thought I could. And he brought it up to me when I was visiting home one one weekend, mm-hmm. and I thought it sounded cool. And I I didn't I guess I didn't realize at the time that there were so many comic books coming out like um around this time like movies like road to perdition and mm-hmm. a history of violence and these cool graphic novels were like really hitting the market and i guess i didn't really know much about that and i was like oh wow hey, that's awesome like i saw these 
these gritty grounded movies mm-hmm. um, that I didn't even realize were based off of graphic novels. And so I was like, well, let me do some research, get back into the medium a little bit and see if I can, if I think I can do this before we start anything. Cause we, you know, we were two guys who just were kind of naive in a lot of ways. We never, we didn't know anything about publishing. We sure. knew nothing about running a, a company. So it sounded a little bit aggressive. Um, so we both kind of researched it some more. And I, I think I read preacher in like, as, <laughs> within like two weeks, I was like, wow. Like that blew me away. Yeah. And I went on to reading. Uh, I, I started reading, was it Hellblazer? Might've been mad. I just started soaking in a lot of different comics and I got really into it and I got back into it. And I was like, yeah, I think we can do this. I'd love to do this. Mm-hmm. And, um, so we started writing together, and I moved back to Philly. We wrote the first Grim Fairy Tales um, together. Yep. And at that time, uh, 2005-ish, nobody was really doing that. You know, nobody was reading. I mean, I, I guess I guess Vertigo has fables. Sure. I think I, I've never read fables. Um, I think it's a lot a lot different. Than well, it's it's definitely a lot different. And I'll say for the audience out there, what sets your interpretation of Grimm's Fairy Tales apart? Because because when I was doing research, when I uh, was pitching you guys, and I was doing some some stories for you guys, you know, I went back and reread everything, and I said, oh my god, these guys have a different take. It's not just it, it's based in the Grimm Fairy Tales Tales world, but it's different and unique. So why don't you touch upon that a little bit? Yeah, sure. I mean, the idea was always um, with Grim Fairy Tales was let's take the original fairy tales that we've all read or heard growing up, mm-hmm. um, go back to the originals, which are, as we know now, probably are a lot darker um, than the kids' versions that came out. Um, so we went back to the originals, read a ton of those, jotted down our own ideas, and then kind of started at that place. And we said, we're going to kind of do the opposite of what Disney did, and we're going to make fairy tales more for adult readers. Mm-hmm. So let's reinvent these, you know, Red Riding Hood, Hansel and Gretel, Cinderella, for with sort of darker twists, um, and go from there. And we and make them make them very much like a Tales from the Crypt or a Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, um, and that was the goal, you know. And and then what happened was we. You know, we publish this first issue. We get an Al Rio to do our cover, um, and that blows up right away. You know, people, you know, Al Rio was a, you know, had been a big name in comics sure. for years. Yep. Maybe at that time not as big a name, but he did this amazing Red Riding Hood cover that I think the industry wasn't really doing sexy covers at that time. Um, you know, 2005, I think it eased up a little bit than it maybe used to have, uh, maybe uh, compared to the 90s. Sure. Um, so I think having this combination of like a sexy cover with this cool like Twilight Zone type stories, that was really starting to hit, hit a nerve for us. And we found a, we found readership right away with, with that series. So that kind of put us on the map. I remember that actually too. I remember at the conventions, you guys were—I mean, your your booth was always swamped. But you guys had a very professional uh, way of going about it, and and I say that half 
smirkingly because you would, you would hire the booth models to uh, be your be you know there encouraging fans and encouraging people. And uh, but at the same time, you guys you know for not having started your own business before, not in the comic book world, you guys had a plan. You know, it, it seemed like you definitely had a plan of marketing, which which worked. Uh, thanks. Yeah. No, we did. I mean, that was our plan. Our plan was really let's let's come at this like no other publisher is right now. And and we had the booth models um, who were attractive, of course. And mm-hmm. we thought, hey, they're gonna we're gonna have girls kind of help us market this comic. And and you know, we were doing the sexy covers and the sexy variant covers pretty early on. Yeah. But at the same time, we were trying to. We didn't want to create a company that was based around like we weren't trying to do like a soft porn or anything, right, or right. anything crazy right. like that. We were trying to tell real stories mm-hmm. and make our characters, our female characters, we wanted them to be cool and badass. And and so it was kind of trying to combine this, you know, hey, we might have a sexy cover yep. that that collectors may want, um, but at the same time, if you read our stories, you're going to be kind of, you, you should be impressed because it, there's more substance to the stories. Correct. Now, was Joe's idea for a comic based on Grimm's fairy tales, or was that something separate? Yeah, you know, he wanted his idea. Well, it was funny because we had a, we had a ton of ideas. You know, yeah. we're still publishing ideas we had written Absolutely. back. We were written down ten years ago. Um, but he had kind of thought up the the idea of doing this sort of darker Grimm fairy tales or cool versions of Grimm fairy tales. And I, as soon as he mentioned it to me, I was like, "Yeah, that sounds that's, that's actually a really good idea." No one's doing that right now. I mean, no one, no one had been had been doing it. Now you're seeing, you saw in the last decade, everybody's tried it um, in one way or another. They reinventing fairy tales mm-hmm. and uh, still doing it um, on, in film and TV. So, um, but at that time, yeah, I mean, we were just kind of like, "That sounds cool. Let's go for it." And then we so. I think when we first started, too, we never really, it wasn't really like we were going to become a publisher. We were going to publish a comic. Right. That's what you and, actually had told me. I remember that. You're like, you know, yeah. our idea was we're going to publish a comic. We're going to take this and we're going to be able to now market an IP that we created and see what else is out there. But lo and behold, 10 years later, you guys actually became a real comic book publisher. Yeah. To, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's I don't know. It, it was it was really just happened. Um, we we I think at the time we thought about going through Image. Um, Image had been around, obviously. Um, maybe not. They weren't. They hadn't been around that long. I don't think at the time. But they were they were in existence. Um, we considered that. You know, that was something we thought. All right. Well, why don't we go through another publisher, and then we'll just continue to like go through other, you know, like, image type, because there was also a, a company called, I think, Speakeasy Comics at the time, I don't know if you remember them, they Sounds were familiar. similar to Image, yep. um, and they were doing the same model at the time, so we thought, we talked to them, um, and then we just said, man, let's just print it ourselves, you know, let's just go for it, we had, we, Joe and I invested all our own money into the company, um, and went for it and we, had, and we didn't realize how much it was going to cost us i think <laughs> we kind of there was no kickstarter back then so we couldn't just kickstart a uh fund for for a comic so unfortunately so we spent a lot of money of our own you know our own uh our own cash well that so actually that's a great that sort of 
we, you know, we, we, when we had success with Grim Fairy Tales, I think we kind of got excited and we were like, let's do more of this. This seems easy. Yeah. We hit, you know, of course you hit the bumps in the road along the way and, you know, the learning curve of, of what it takes to actually be successful in this industry is very difficult. Sure. Well, that's actually a great segue into our next segment. We're coming up against break here, but um, okay. we, uh, I want to talk about the Grimm's Fairy Tales Kickstarter you guys ran and the success behind that, and then uh, also okay. some of the TV projects you guys have uh, in the works that I'm um, reading about and hearing about. So when we come awesome. back, we'll be with uh, Ralph Tedesco of Zenoscope talking comics and bringing those comics to TV and movies. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Hi, this is Rob Kay. And I'm Callie Alpert. Are you looking for a show where people talk about real stuff like life, love, the pursuit of being yourself? Well, then you have come to the right place because The Rob and Callie Show is doing just that. For the last 10 years, Rob and I have been having our own version of Sunday morning therapy sessions on the phone, and now we're bringing it to the radio. So tune in and call in live Wednesdays, 8 to 8.30 on talkradio.myc. And that's Eastern Standard Time, so join us. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Welcome back. We're chatting with Ralph Tedesco of Zenoscope Comics. Uh, appreciate the patience from all our Periscope peeps. We don't have live audio streaming in, but we do have live audio streaming in in our YouNow station, younow.com slash Michael underscore Dolce. Ralph, welcome back. Thank you. Now, we talked about the transition from comics to film a little bit, and you mentioned Kickstarter being a component that wasn't available when you were first in the business, but now you are. Um, or now it is when you are, and you guys ran a very successful Grimm's Fairy Tale Kickstarter. Give us a little backstory on what the Kickstarter entailed, and what's the update on that? Um, yeah, that was interesting. We we didn't. It kind of was a joint effort. We had met um, an animator director named John Schnepp at Comic Con um, through a mutual friend. Um, few years back this was i guess 2010 or 11 mm-hmm. um and we all hit it off so john was a fan of grim fairy tales and he he was directing i think he created metalocalypse um, on adult swim okay um and you know he was interested in working on something together and he's like you know i think grim fairy tales would make a really cool animated comic so we he got his studio out here in LA. Called, mm-hmm. uh, they're called Titmouse Studios. Okay. Um, he had them get involved, and we kind of budgeted out what it would cost to actually make a pilot episode, animated episode. So once we got that budget out, you know, it was a lot. It was it was still pretty expensive, but 
John's like, hey, I can get this to under, he's like, I can probably get this to under $200,000 um, if we can figure out a way to raise the money, produce it ourselves, okay. and see if we can get it picked up. And that was sort of the idea. And we were like, well, let's try Kickstarter. Like, why not? Yep. So we went to Kickstarter. We we put together, you know, it took us a long time because it was putting together all these rewards. Um, I think at the time we were a little bit in over our heads with the <laughs> Kickstarter, you know, not knowing. You know, Kickstarter had been around, but it, it's really, I mean, now people kind of, you know, there's people who are, do it successfully a lot. Like, I noticed um, Brian Polito um, does it for Lady Death, and he does it really well. Jimmy Palmiotti. kind of get, he understands it, um, understands how to do the rewards the correct way. We were kind of throwing stuff out there like, hey, let's put up more rewards, let's do this. And I think we had too many uh, rewards and too much going on. So the, talk of, the, the, the reason I'm telling you this is it, it just took so much manpower from us, and it was almost sure. like a second, having a second full-time job. It really is, then. It really is. There's yeah, no question. I've done two Kickstarters was. now. I did one very small one to kind of get myself in there, and then I did a larger one uh, for a book called The Undone, That was, and both were successfully funded. But holy cow, man, as soon as you hit that live button... Uh, I mean, I'm just I'm I'm hoarding myself around my computer, just waiting for people to to pledge, and they do. And there's you know there's how many more rewards can I come up with? And oh, I have an idea now for a variant cover, and you know all the preparation. Forget the amount of work that goes into that, which I'm sure was was even more uh, greater than what I had to do on your end. But even after, there's work to do while the Kickstarter's going on too, and I feel like that's even harder. Yeah, no, it was. It w- we were. We have, you know, we have a staff. We don't have a huge staff, but we have an office and a staff. And a lot of our staff was kind of trying to do their jobs and Kickstarter. Um, and we ended up raising $188,000, which is great. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we surpassed our goal by about, I think our goal was set at 175 knowing that if we ha- were short, we could supplement some of that ourselves somehow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we hit 188 and we were able to make the, you know, we had just the bare bones to make this pilot. Um, and we did. So John went off, made the pilot okay. um, out here in L.A., and then we spent the next literally year fulfilling rewards and, like, dealing with all of that, which I think was a lot. We bit off more than we can choose, so it took us a long time to finally fulfill everything sure. um, and get through everything. So that was that was the issue we had i think if we ever did it again we'd have we we learned a lot from that first time yeah um and we'd be a lot more streamlined i think and we wouldn't drive ourselves as crazy but it was a learning experience and it was great that we were able to raise the money and you know we we so the pilot was made great that was um, my next question we had our big get was lena heady uh from king of thrones yeah um so she came on board we had a few other cool voice actors like chris hardwick Okay. And Brianna Abigan and um, Robert Forrester. So they were all involved in the, in the pilot. So we finally finished it. It was very uh, campy, but it was also very dark um, and violent. So, okay. So it was very much like heavy metal. It was like a heavy metal awesome. homage. Um, awesome. So we debuted it at Comic-Con New York, I think it was 2013, if I'm not mistaken. And... It was like people loved it. I mean, we were showing yeah. this at, at all different Comic Con, and people were going nuts. Mm-hmm. But we just couldn't find a buyer. There was okay. no network that wanted to buy something like that that was so dark and and 
And I think, you know, as much as, like, animated stuff is great and we probably love it, the market for it is, you know, there's only so many people who are going to are gonna buy it. Sure. So many networks that are actually going to buy something like that and, and pay for a full season. So, you, so that was the wall we ran into with the pilot was okay. not being able to find a network who was that interested in actually buying it from us, even though we were getting great feedback on it. Sure. So, I mean, you could chalk it up as a learning experience, and it's kind of led you, I would imagine, into what you're doing now. I know you said you, you're based in Philadelphia, the company, but you're now living out in L.A., and you're doing stuff um, for Zenoscope, bringing some of the Zenoscope projects to screen out there. I hear there's something going on with the Sci-Fi Network, and maybe one of your Van Helsing, I think, was, was the title that I read about that might be coming to Sci-Fi. Can you talk about that at all? I could talk a little bit. Um, we're not supposed to talk about it too, too much, but... Um, not yet, at least, but sure. yeah, it's in the works. Um, we are going to have a Van Helsing uh, series on Sci-Fi Channel in October mm-hmm. uh, of this year, so it's filming now, and uh, it's based it's it's based off of our inspired by our Van Helsing character, which we came out with. I think she first hit shelves probably 2013 as well. Okay, um, and you know, in our in our comic, she's a British. Uh, she's a descendant of the original Van Helsing um, that we all know about mm-hmm. um, from Dracula, the original Dracula story. Yeah, and she's her she's his daughter, and she's a she's British, uh, basically badass vampire hunter who gets actually ends up in present day modern day. That was my um, next question. If she's her, if she's his daughter, and the story takes place around 1897, um, what is the time period that the story takes place in? Yeah, the the she, well, there's it's it's a whole thing, but but the basic idea is she was stuck. Uh, she gets stuck in this um, place called the Shadowlands for over a hundred years, um, which is filled with every type of monster you can imagine. Mm-hmm. And she's able to escape this realm, and she ends up in modern day New York. So um, then then we did a, a a sequel series where she returns to London to seek out Dracula and try to kill him. Um, and then we did a backstory on her and how she ended up here. And, uh, we did a spinoff of, with her. So there's been a lot of different books featuring Van Helsing, and she has her own series now that Pat Shan writes. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had Pat as a guest a, really a few big, weeks ago. <laughs> oh, you did. Oh, oh cool. yeah, yeah. So so we um, we have this great character, and um, you know we were able to finally find the find a partner who, who was interested in the character. Uh-huh. Um, I do know, I will say that the story has definitely changed up a bit from the comic okay. for, the, for the TV series, but I can't really talk about what the story of the series is going to be. But um, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> I, I have no doubt about Neil that. Neil Abutes, a showrunner, and Neil Abutes, a big, pretty big-name playwright. He's written a lot of mm-hmm. he's directed movies. He's directed television. He's been around a while, but... Um, He's uh, he's show running this series, so we're excited to see what he has in store. That's great. That's really terrific. Is there any other Zenoscope projects um, that you are bringing to screen, or you're or you're in the in the development phase? And what <coughs> challenges are you facing to do that um, in this you know in this Hollywood? Now Hollywood, I would think, has changed from when you guys first were publishing you know ten years ago and even five years ago. In that they want franchises, yeah. they want 
stuff that has a following built in already, and you guys have both in that you're a comic book publisher, and you guys are using characters in the public domain, so there is some familiarity behind it. So are you finding it yeah. a lot easier now than it was, And but what challenges are you still facing? Well, <laughs> easy is definitely not easy. Um, you know, I, I, the, it, it's different. The landscape's changed for sure. When we first started, film was really the main focus. Nobody was really looking at comic books for TV. Uh-huh. Um, 2000, really through like 2011-ish, 10-ish, there was very few people really considering comics. So everything we, at least for TV, everything we were pitching was, was film-wise. Yeah. Um, and we saw, we watched as like our grim fairy tales kind of got surpassed and then all these other grim type shows were coming out and was frustrating because we were like oh well we came out with this idea years ago and and we realized okay well we're doing public domain characters and Mm -hmm. anybody can do their version of a public domain character so that kind of while it was great for us it also kind of hurt us Mm -hmm. um you know, and at, at that time, we started expanding beyond just public domain characters. You know, we were coming out with original new titles as well sure. that didn't have anything to do with the Grim universe. Mm-hmm. Um, so so we, we were publishing all these Grim universe titles like, you know, um, Wonderland or Wonderland spinoff and um, Neverland and, yep. and all those. And then we were coming out with original ideas like Fly, Raven Gregory had written Fly, mm-hmm. um, uh, some other some other um, titles as well. So basically we just really began noticing when Walking Dead came out, this new trend of TV um, and how TV was evolving. And as soon as Walking Dead came out, the success of Walking Dead, we were getting a lot of interest on all of our properties. And we sold Wonderland to Lionsgate TV. um, Okay at that time was 2012 and we ended up having a six studio bidding war on our wonderland property so that was the original um kind of light bulb moment where we were like wow like tv is now becoming the new film <laughs> so we it, started it's amazing now isn't it all, you know, i'm pitching all these ideas for tv then that's fantastic okay we are running up against the time here i want to thank you for joining us but we have about 30 seconds uh, give me some cool stuff happened in Zenoscope, and where can people check it out? Sure. Um, you should you should definitely go to our website. Mm-hmm. Um, you should check out our Facebook. We always post new updates to our Facebook. So facebook.com slash Zenoscope, or obviously Zenoscope.com. Yep. Um, and just, just give us a read. I like to tell people who haven't jumped in on our books, they're very reader-friendly. And, you know, I think sometimes we get a bad you know, the stigma of, oh, they only do sexy covers. That's not true at all. Yeah. So just check us out. Okay. I, and I actually, I can speak for that, too. I remember, again, doing the research, writing those, uh, writing some stuff for Grimm's Fairy Tales, thinking, you know, it, it, there's definitely more than meets the eye here. And what's on the eye is not bad either. Uh, Ralph, thank <laughs> you so much for joining me. I will uh, check you out at San Diego Comic-Con. I'll be in attendance there as well. And uh, if I'm in the Philly area as well, I will uh, be sure to drop by as well, too. So, Ralph, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Mike. When, when we return, we are going to do the next bracket up. We're going to give you the uh, re- yeah, we're going to reveal the first bracket winner in the Batman movie film franchise when we return. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. 
Are you into comics, movies, and pop culture at large? What about music and storytelling? Then you're in for a treat. This is Michael Dolce, your brand new radio host on talkradio.nyc. I've been professionally writing and drawing comic books, screenplays, and music articles for over 15 years. Catch my new show, Secrets of the Sire, Fridays at 11 a.m. and get the inside scoop on the pop culture universe you love to talk about. For more info, go to secretsofthesire.com right now. TalkingAlternative.com Welcome back. We are closing in on another fantastic episode of Secrets of the Sire. Hopefully we're not banned on YouTube again. I think if I get flagged another time, I have a six-month probation. Uh, oh, well. You know, what are you going to do? Um, want to thank Ralph Tedesco from Zenoscope coming on, talking to us about bringing comics to film. And uh, their company actually really is... Uh, an amazing success story. An independent publisher. They've been around for 10 years. They're continually going strong. Uh, their convention presence is always top-notch. They're always flagged with a lot of fans. And people really love what they do and their take on things. So a big thank you to him. We're going to circle back to what we started talking about. And I want to welcome all the Periscope peeps that can actually hear me now. Uh, we were having some technical difficulties. so They couldn't actually hear Ralph. So they're basically just staring at me uh, for a half an hour, which my wife is okay with. Uh, she's about the only one that stuck around for that, and I want to thank anybody else who bore with me on that one just to uh, to get through this now. So we started the show out talking about the Batman movie film franchises, and it's the first bracket, or the first region in our movie film franchise Final Four. We're pitting the Batman movies, the Spider-Man movies, the Superman movies, and the X-Men movies against each other. The criteria for this was that it had to be a franchise that got rebooted at least once. All four have. Batman, Spider-Man, Superman, and X-Men have all been rebooted. They also, no side stories, no spinoffs. Um, the Deadpool movie would not count as an X-Men movie. It's, it's in the X-Men universe, but it's not an X-Men movie. It's actually a great segue into next week's guest. We're going to welcome Jeff Gomez from Starlight Runner Entertainment. They're a transmedia company. We're going to dish on shared universes. Things like Supergirl appearing in Flash, um, a new Flash appearing in the Batman-Superman movie. Um, transmedia companies tend to work with... Not that they don't just tend to. They do. They work with uh, companies that want to share their universes across different media platforms. So we're going to welcome Jeff Gomez next week to talk about it. But first, we're going to reveal the winner of the Batman bracket. It's by an overwhelming margin, Dark Knight beats out the original Tim Burton Batman as the best Batman movie in the bunch. So what happens next? Next, we're going to debate, and I welcome my Periscope peeps to join in here. We're going to debate on the four Spider-Man movies. 
right now. And then about, I don't know, I'd say about 20 minutes from now on my Twitter page, we're going to launch the Spider-Man round of the brackets. Sam, did you catch the Civil War trailer? You can shake yes or no with Spider-Man appearance. Oh, I didn't see Spider-Man. New trailer. If you guys go on, uh, go on live right now, you can actually check out the new trailer. I'll post it to the Secrets of the Sire page. Um, Sam can post it to Talking Alternative page. And it features Spider-Man, the new Spider-Man, who's now interacting in the Marvel Universe. So we can kind of wash our, our mouths out of the amazing Spider-Man reboots that took place with Andrew Garfield. And not that they were bad movies. It's not that they were bad movies. It's that they were trying to be something that Spider-Man wasn't. Now, to be fair, I actually think um, Andrew Garfield and, and the guys from Bad Coyote Funky last week kind of actually touched upon this. Maybe that's what got us banned. Who knows? But they, you know, they said that Andrew Garfield was a very quippy Spider-Man, and that was that's good. You know, we want Spider-Man to be quippy. I thought, I thought Tobey Maguire was okay. I thought he was better as Peter Parker than he was as Spider-Man. I want my Spider-Man to be shooting off jokes, being sarcastic, being annoying to the people around him, to the villains around him. And I want him to be that kind of hero. So we're going to wait and see what kind of hero he is in the Marvel Universe. i got to imagine he's going to be something along those lines. The costume? Uh, it was... It was classic. I'll actually say that. I think that's the best way to put it. Um, if you check out the trailer, the, the eyes are less Todd McFarlane, more John Romita Jr., uh, sorry, John Romita Sr., um, more John Buscema, you know, that kind of 70s era eyes, which is kind of cool. Um, a lot more vibrant red than what was in the Amazing Spider-Man franchises. The thing about the Amazing Spider-Man franchises, too, you had Christopher Nolan have success doing a dark and gritty Batman. So movie studio executives at Sony were like, we need to do dark and gritty. Dark and gritty is, well, look, it's working. Dark and gritty is, is everything now. We need to make Spider-Man dark and gritty. We need to have this whole subplot with his parents. and Which, again, these are all things that can work. They, they just didn't. So at the end of the day, I mean, that's just my take. We are pitting these four movies, though. We actually, through much debate, we eliminated Spider-Man 3 from the mix. Now, I, I'm going to yield to my guests, uh, the Bad Coyote Bunch, last week. I didn't think 3 was as bad as maybe collectively the Amazing Spider-Man reboot was, but individual movies, Amazing Spider-Man 1 and Amazing Spider-Man 2, were better than Spider-Man 3, so I can't, I can't argue that point. Uh, so those are the four films that we are going to be posting to the Twitter feed and we're going to let you guys decide. It is the first Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire. The second one with Tobey Maguire versus Doc Ock. The second, uh, sorry, Amazing Spider-Man 1 featuring Andrew Garfield taking on the Lizard. And Amazing Spider-Man 2 where he then takes on Electro, which was god-awful by Jamie Foxx too. I just was not a big fan of that interpretation of Electro. I had no problem with Jamie Foxx playing Electro. That's fine. That's totally cool. I didn't mind the look and feel of him either. The character was just just didn't do it for me. But then you could also kind of argue the first Amazing Spider-Man, sorry, the first Spider-Man movie, Willem Dafoe, excellent as Norman Osborn, okay as the Green Goblin. Maybe the costume was, was kind of where I'm kind of hesitating. Me personally, Spider-Man 2, I think was as perfect a Spider-Man movie minus the quippiness that we want to see. He was, he was quippier. 
He was definitely making more jokes in that one. Interesting backstory to Spider-Man 3. And we kind of touched upon it last week. Sam Raimi wanted to do Sandman. Big Sandman fan. I actually love Sandman, the character. I actually loved him back in the Amazing Spider-Man books when he turned good and he was part of the Avengers for a while. He was a, he's a very challenging character, a very conflicted character. I really loved his character. And so did Sam Raimi. And he wanted to do Sandman. And the studio said, no, you got to do Venom. So he said, okay, we'll do both. We'll make it, we'll make it up to you. But you could tell by the amount of love that he gave Venom versus the amount of love that he wanted to give Sandman that clearly there was no reason to have both those characters in there. And it's too bad. And ultimately, Spider-Man 3 was such a letdown that when it came time to do Spider-Man 4, I had a good friend of mine, Jeff Henderson, does storyboard uh, work out in Hollywood. He did the storyboards for Watchmen. He did storyboards for Twilight. um, And he did the storyboards... He worked on the storyboards for Spider-Man 3. He was actually going to take over as art director on Spider-Man 4 for Sam Raimi. Uh, He worked on The Wizard of Oz as well. And he was going to be the art director on that film, but they cut the film short because they basically said, well, you kind of did your your three movies and we're going to go in a different direction. That different direction, though, ultimately led to Spider-Man now being incorporated into the Marvel Universe because that different direction didn't quite do what they had hoped it would do. They thought it would be the next Batman trilogy, but it's a Spider-Man movie, and so it's very, very helpful that they are now kind of molding it in. So go to my Twitter page, at Michael underscore Dolce. Uh, In about, I would say about 12, 15, we're going to launch the Spider-Man poll. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, We're going to do the next bracket. We're going to talk about this next week. I'm going to post some stuff, but first some quick comments on the Batman debate. Uh, Tom Hutchinson wrote in that Nolan only had his chance because of Burton. And I actually agree with that statement in the sense that, yes, excuse me, there is no question that Tim Burton led the way uh, in order to have a Batman franchise to prove that that a film franchise can deliver. That being said, again, if I'm I'm putting apples to apples and I'm saying Nolan's, uh, Nolan's Batman franchise versus... Burton's two attempts at the film, I think the franchise as a whole, definitely better. There's no there's no, no argument there whatsoever. Thorne McGee chimed in, though. He goes, Nolan, Batman Returns was bad enough that it knocked Burton off the franchise. If you just take first movie to first movie, it's harder. But how much of Nolan's Batman was really great because of Jack Nicholson? My buddy used to say that he spent the rest of the series trying to find two actors who could make up for one Jack. It's a great, great point. But the funny thing now is the Heath Ledger's Joker is now just as iconic as Jack Nicholson's. And Jack Nicholson's lent to the Adam West version, you know, much more. And the Heath Ledger version is the comic book version come to life or, or the more dark and gritty, the Alan Moore uh, killing joke Joker uh, come to life. So it's a really, it's always a fun debate. And like I said, at the end of the day, as much as we try to give you some thought provoking entertainment, we try to touch on the issues we're going to touch on more issues as we go along in the series it's fun to just make these debates because everyone's got an opinion and quite frankly no one's wrong or everyone's well actually everyone's wrong except me so there's nothing wrong with that at all so i want to thank ralph tedesco again for joining us from zenoscope go check out zenoscope.com facebook.com slash zenoscope Uh, check out our twitter page at michael underscore dolce we are d-o-l-c-e season cat e uh we're going to be doing the spider-man film franchises next week and next week we're going to welcome jeff gomez 
from Starlight Runner doing some transmedia. We're going to talk about shared universes, Supergirl appearing in Flash, uh, why did Agent Carter flop? We're going to have a lot of fun. So we will see you guys. Well, yeah, Sam, see, they, see it flopped. It flopped rating-wise, Sam, so unfortunately, yeah. I know it's too bad. I love that show, but we'll talk about it next week. Secrets of the Sire. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you into comics, movies, and pop culture at large? What about music and storytelling? Then you're in for a treat. This is Michael Dolce, your brand new radio host on talkradio.nyc. I've been professionally writing and drawing comic books, screenplays, and music articles for over 15 years. Catch my new show, Secrets of the Sire, Fridays at 11 a.m. and get the inside scoop on the pop culture universe you love to talk about. For more info, go to secretsofthesire.com right now. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at TalkingAlternative.com. Hello, I'm JC. I'm Joan. And, and welcome, welcome to, to 21st, 21st Century Entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. We bring education, insight, knowledge, awareness, trouble, craziness, and fun. For you, the entrepreneur who's looking to build your business. And your community. Listen every Friday from noon to 1 Eastern on talkradio.nyc. And you can tweet us at 21st CE Radio or Talk Alternative. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. 